0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I just want to make sure everybody's awake before we get started today. Last night I was practicing and I put somebody to sleep, so I want to make sure we start with everybody awake. They were already halfway asleep before we started, so don't want me scare you there. Uh, once again, good morning. My name is Keith Sparrow. I'm one of the. I'm the leader of the prayer ministry at Redeemer Church. I was asked to preach this morning, and I'm going to share this morning about prayer. And the question we were asked this. Uh, that I'm supposed to answer today is, why do we pray? Now, before starting, I just want to show my appreciation to Caleb, to Chet, and to Jim for the opportunity to share um, the Gospel, to share the Word. They both blessed me and trusted me to teach, and this is no light matter, no light task, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, Today we're going to be looking at the question, once again, why do we pray? It's an interesting question, as prayer is such a fundamental part of the Christian faith, that we rarely ask the question. You know, we're supposed to pray. That's the answer. You know, why do we pray? Because we're supposed to. But as we look at prayer, we're going to look at we're going to look to answer this question and to deal with some of the misconceptions about what prayer is. So the first text we're going to look at today is the Lord's Prayer from Matthew six. It's located in your pew Bibles on page eight eleven. I pulled the Sarah Palin and wrote the notes on my hand because I forgot the numbers. <laughs> So, in your pew Bibles on page 811 is the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at verses 5 through 8 and 14 through 15. I'm going to go ahead and read it. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the first concept we're going to look at today is how not to pray. We're going to look at three lessons from this text that do deal with how we should not pray. The first lesson we're look at in this text is that we're not to pray to be seen by men. The Pharisees of Jesus' time would pray in the synagogues, in, in the churches, in the street corners during their, their times of scheduled prayer. They would pray out loud, loud and long prayers. For a pretense, they would do these things. they make these long prayers to be seen by others and be seen as righteous and holy and and godly and above everybody else spiritually, that they were awesome people of prayer. But this was for pretense. They did this so other people would see them. Their prayers were not to communicate with God, but were to impress men with their prayer. And Jesus clearly rejects this attitude. Do not be as the hypocrites. In our day, we don't have the same cultural prayer times. Um, People do not get up in the mall or Starbucks and just start praying loudly. Lord, I'm proud I'm not like these people. They don't do that. Because I pray every day at the Starbucks coffee house. No one does that. At least not that I've seen. Um, But if we're not careful, we can still be guilty. Even though we don't have the same cultural understanding, we can still be guilty of praying to be seen by men. Ask yourself this real quick, these questions. Is my primary time of prayer... Around others? My family, my friends, my church? Do I make my prayers longer when I'm in my community group? Or my life transformation group to impress others with my heart toward God? Or my memorized Bible verses I can quote during the prayer? Truly think about these things for a minute. Because this kind of praying is self-centered and self-exalting. We're praying to make ourselves look good and we're told regarding this error that those who pray in this way have received their reward. What does Jesus mean by them receiving their reward? It means that those who pray like this, they get what they desire. What they really desire is not to commune with God, not to have God hear them and respond in mighty ways, but it's to be heard by people and seen as something that they, they want to be seen as, as godly or spiritual. And Jesus says that these people have received their awards. The first error is praying to be seen by people, and this we're not to do. The second truth we're going to look at here in this text is that we should not pray repeatedly just to make sure God has heard us. Jesus says when praying to not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that we have heard for their many words. He warns against praying mere words or phrases to be heard by God. The Gentiles, those who were not of the, Christian, of the, the Jewish faith in his time, um, the Romans, any other people group, would uh, pray to their gods and God is uncertain if they heard the prayers. So to make sure that their gods were paying attention, they would repeat the God's name multiple times or different titles for that God. They would pray the same prayer over and over and over again to make sure their God has heard them. Um, and Jesus says, we should not be this way. Well, you're going to respond and say, Keith, we don't pray like that. In our culture, we don't see this same um, type of prayer to make sure God has heard us. But it's still an error we need to be aware of as it can creep into our prayer lives almost uncontested. Jesus is not saying that it's bad. To, I want you to understand this. Jesus is not saying it's bad to pray for things that are on your heart every day. He's not saying that. He's not saying you should, if, you, if your heart is leading you to prayer, that you shouldn't pray long prayers. He's not saying you shouldn't pray every day for the same salvation of your friends. What he's dealing with here is what's on your heart. He, he, he's, he wants us to pray with our hearts instead of repeating empty phrases in many words to make sure that God hears us. Jesus rejects mindless, heartless prayers. Now, your response by saying, what does this mean? What does it mean? What are times in your life that you might pray the same prayer or similar prayers every day that you just pray? You know, we just pray it. For some of us, it's it's our mealtimes. For others, it's the first prayer in the morning or the last prayer at night or when you're with your loved ones. You'll pray... You know, please bless my, so my, my daughter's health, my son's education, and my wife's growth in Christ. But we pray so often that it becomes rote. It becomes memory. And it's no longer the burden of our heart, but it's just words, empty phrases. And Jesus says he rejects that. He, in fact, he responds to these empty phrases and these people trying to make sure God's heard them. By saying, the Father knows what we need. God is listening and knows our needs before we pray. He's not surprised or shocked when we pray. He knows before we even say it. Jesus calls us to a higher prayer life than just repeating things for God to to make sure God knows that we really want to see this happen or that happen. He calls us to pray that when we come before God with our whole hearts and lay down our burdens and cares before Him, that our our minds and that our hearts are engaged in prayer. And we can come in confidence before Him, before God in prayer, because as Jesus says, He hears us. Now the question is going to be asked, okay, Keith, you just told me that God knows what we need before we pray. So why do we pray? That's an important question to deal with, because if God already knows If God knows what we need before we need it, and God is good, then why does he have us pray? The answer is this, and this is a simple, short answer, because you could preach a whole sermon just on this answer. Um, In prayer, we recognize God as the giver of all good things, of all things. And we recognize our need for him to provide. We recognize that, as the scripture says, without Christ, we can do nothing. Jesus says in John fourteen thirteen, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What does this mean? In prayer, we glorify God as we recognize Him as the good and perfect giver and ourselves as needing Him. God has designed prayer in such a way as to give Him glory and to draw us near to Him in a relationship as we cry out to Him and experience Him Work in our lives and the lives of those around us. The, the final truth we're going to look at in this text is that prayer with an unforgiving spirit means we'll not be forgiven. The third warning that Jesus gives us in Matthew six, fourteen through fifteen, is arguably the most alarming. Jesus says, If we forgive, we will be forgiven. If we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. This is not a passage we can ignore. In fact, if we do so, we do so at our own peril. Forgiveness is a serious subject that Jesus taught on multiple times, that he engaged sinners with forgiveness and and, and forgive them for their sins, that not only did he teach about it, his life, death, and resurrection, as Caleb shared, Paid our penalties so we could be forgiven of our sins. He paid the price so we could be forgiven. <clears throat> Forgiveness is central, fundamental to the gospel. Um, how does this apply? Oftentimes, when we pray prayers, we pray prayers of confession and repentance. We confess our sins to God, and we say, and we turn our lives around. That's what repentance means. It means living in a different way and not continuing in that sin. But the warning here is strong. If we do not forgive others who sin against us, we will not be forgiven of our sins. Having an unforgiving spirit, an unforgiving heart, is a warning. It should be a giant warning flag in your life. If you see you have that, that may point to a major sin issue, or even a lack of salvation. It's that it's that serious of an issue unforgiving spirit is. A Forgiveness of others is not only required, um, and it's not only possible, but it's required. What? Ask yourself this for a minute. What sin could someone commit against you that you cannot forgive? Remember first that God forgave you of your sins against Him. If God has forgiven your sins against Him, Who are you to not forgive sin? Are we greater than God that we we have a better judgment than He does? No, we are to forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. We must be a forgiving people for our prayers for forgiveness to be answered. We must be a forgiving people because our God is a God who forgives. So we've seen three ways not to pray in Matthew 6. We're going to look at Isaiah 62, 6 through 7. That's on page number 621 in the Pew Bible. This text has three three important truths about how we do pray. I'm going to go ahead and read the text. It's Isaiah, uh, page 621, Isaiah 62, 6-7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord to remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest and until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The first truth we need to learn in this text is that God has appointed us to pray. Isaiah 62 is a prophetic passage talking uh, about preparing for the Messiah to come to Jerusalem. Now, the watchmen were set on the walls of a town to be aware of what was going on around them, to, be, to watch, they were to be ever vigilant and aware, to watch for enemies in the, in the distance, to watch for messengers, and to watch, in this case, for the Messiah. That was their purpose. That's why God had placed them there. But God says in verse 6 that he had set the watchmen. <coughs> I apologize, I've been getting over a cold. We see that God put these people in place. They were put there by the will of God for the purpose he had for them. He set them there. He established them there to do that work. In like fashion, God has called us to where we are now for his purposes. He has given us our lives. He's put us where we are Where we were born was not an accident. Where we've lived is not an accident. And he's given us our lives. And as Christians, we're called to watch, to pray, to serve, to share the gospel as we live our lives. This is his work. This is our work that he's given us. Not only do we do this if we're missionaries, not only do we do this when we're doing our evangelistic outreach, this is our lives that God has called us to. Of, of watching prayer and service and sharing the gospel. He has given us this work. Our lives are not an accident. The locations are not random, as I said earlier. God has put us where we are for a reason. Acts 17, 26-27 says that He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the, the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in hope that they may feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet he's, at, yet he's actually not far from every one of us. He made He made the nations. He gave us our determined periods and the boundaries of our dwelling place that we may know Him. He did these things. And we are put where we are in our lives. We are here today because God has, put, has drawn us here for his work so that we may know him. Or his ambassadors and his witnesses of the gospel. So God has set us in place to be his workers and to pray. The second truth we learn in this text is that God has commanded us to pray continually. Caleb shared earlier about this this continual prayer. This prayer, pray and keep on praying that Caleb spoke about. It's very true. Um, the text says that the watchmen were not silent day or night, and they were to take no rest until God fulfills his purpose, his promise. In this case, so he establishes Jerusalem. This is our call as well. We are called to prayer without, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 makes it this simple. Pray without ceasing. That's the whole verse. So it's pretty clear in the, in the, in the scripture. God has called us to be a people of continuous prayer. Now, the idea of praying without ceasing is is difficult for us to grasp. Where people are very busy in our lives, our lives are filled with distractions, with things we want to do, with family events. And we're, we're busy. So praying without ceasing seems difficult, but here's what it's not praying without ceasing is not constantly praying to God to the point you can't do anything else. Can't talk to you, Mom, I'm praying. Can't talk to you, Claudia, I'm praying. Can't talk to you, Jason. Can't have life transformation group. I'm praying. We can't, that's, not, that's not continual prayer. That's not praying without ceasing. Nor is it that we memorize this long prayer and just pray it all the time. Matthew 6, don't heap up empty words. So we don't just memorize prayer and just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray empty words. But praying without ceasing is something completely different. Praying without ceasing is, first of all, it's it's a life set. that Our lives are set that prayer is is foremost in them. But also, it's an attitude of our heart and our mind as we develop a constant mindset and attitude of prayer in all that comes our way in life, the good and the bad. It is an understanding. Prayer without ceasing is an understanding of our constant communication with God Throughout the day, in a recognition that we're always in his presence. It is our hearts and minds that are driven by a driven to respond to life first and foremost by prayer. To, to, driven to respond in prayer to life. And this is our call as Christians to have hearts and minds that that cause us to pray continually. Now the last truth we learn in this text is that God has given us the reason to pray. Why do we pray? Talked a little bit about that already. Question: Is it for ourselves? Do we pray for our own, our own only our own desires? Do we pray to make our lives better, um, to alleviate our suffering, make our lives better, to get what we need so that God can, as, as Caleb said earlier, kind of is the attachment who gives us the spiritual things. We ask Him what we need, and we kind of ignore them the rest of the time. Oftentimes, that is the way we pray. I say this to my shame that I'm guilty of treating God that way. Treating God as though he's a benevolent grandfather who will give me what I want. And not as the, the God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, who has called me with a purpose to follow him. And he's given us prayer for a reason. Now, what's the reason for prayer? Well, first and foremost, communication with God. In simple, we pray to speak with God. We pray to to pour out our hearts before him. But why has God given us prayer? One of the primary reasons of prayer is to accomplish the purposes of God. Verse 7 states, to give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The watchmen were set in place, not to say... God, I need a new house and God, I need a new car and God, this walking stick hurts and man, I need new shoes because I've been standing here all day and I don't have Dr. Scholl's. That's not what they were set to pray for. What they were set to pray for was for God's purposes to be fulfilled. In the same way, He has placed us where He has placed us in our lives to pray for His purposes on earth. To borrow an illustration from John Piper, Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie that gives a a clear stream of communication between the grunts, the the private in the the warfare trenches, and the general. Now, that walkie-talkie, that prayer is to facilitate the battle being won, to get those those soldiers the help they need, the air support, the, the, the materials they need to do their job as soldiers. It's misused when the soldiers start using it for non-war related purposes. So if the soldier just calls up and says, General, I want a puppy. That's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is for the soldier to battle and to be victorious. The purpose of that walkie-talkie. So prayer's purpose is not fundamentally about just our things we want, but about God's purposes. So that's the difference between man-centered prayer. We ask for what we want versus God-centered prayer where we pray according to His purposes. And we are to be about those purposes as we pray. What does that look like? First of all, the question is, do I not pray about things then? Do I don't pray about... Claudia and I were talking this morning. Should I not pray about my wedding dress? Should I not pray about, you know about other things in my life that are very important that are going on? No. I'm not saying that at all. Please hear me. I'm not God wants us in all things to go to the Lord in prayer. As we've just saying earlier today. But what this truth is about being about the purposes of God is that it changes our prayer lives. Instead of just praying for those things we want we begin to pray for God's kingdom to come, his gospel to be proclaimed, and souls to be saved. This changes our prayer requests. Instead of praying, Lord, give me money for a house, or give me money for, or or heal this upper respiratory infection I've had for almost three weeks now. Instead of praying just for my needs to be fulfilled, by the grace of God, changing our hearts, we pray that God would, for instance, bring healing to my body in such a way that allows me to, have, to, to give you glory or to share the gospel with the doctors. That, that as we pray for a house, we pray that wherever we live, this would be recognized as yours, God, and that it is to be used for your purposes and you provided it. It changes the way we pray. So we've looked at three ways we shouldn't pray. We've looked at three ways we should pray. And as we've explored these, what these texts say about how to pray and how not to pray, I believe we can draw some conclusions and apply, about prayer and apply these truths in our lives. First, important. prayer is important. Second, prayer has a purpose. Third, prayer is fundamentally God-focused. It's, it's, it's kingdom-centered. And fourth, we've been called to pray. Now, because we've been called to pray not just as individuals, but also as a ch- community of faith, as a church, we recognize that we as a church need some structure to guarantee that we respond to God's call and purpose of prayer as a body of Christ. We need structure to ensure that we communicate, the pra- communicate and practice the prayer is important. We need, pardon me, we must ensure that our practice of prayer is focused on God and in line with His purpose. Therefore, we have structure to our prayer ministry that we have in Redeemer. We have a prayer ministry that has a vision, a mission, and a a specific strategy. And as a beginning point of the application today, I would like to share with you the vision, mission, and strategy of Redeemer's prayer ministry. Now, if you could, Mike. Redeemer's prayer ministry vision. Because we exist to glorify God, we strive to see lives transformed as they experience God's Power and grace through prayer. This is the vision for Redeemer's prayer ministry. And what is the vision? This is what we want to see. We desire to see lives transformed, and we believe we will see lives transformed as they experience God's power and grace through prayer. So as people pray, as they come before God, Lay out honestly before Him their hearts and souls. We believe that God will respond to those prayers, and that they will their lives will be transformed as they see God respond. Our next is our prayer ministry mission. So this is how we're going to get there. The mission of a Redeemer's Prayer Ministry is to labor by the by the grace of God to equip the community of saints to live gospel centered prayer filled lives. Pardon me. So, what's the mission? This is how we're going to get to our vision. This is what we're going to do in order to get to our vision. So we are going to be about laboring with the strength God gives us to equip and train our community groups, our life transformation groups, our church, to live lives of gospel-centered prayer. So how do we do that? How do we do that daily? That's what our strategy is about. So the vision is where we want to be. The mission is how we get there. And the strategy is how we do the mission. So the strategy for the Redeemer's prayer ministry strategy. So here's the steps we do. We lay a biblical foundation for prayer. We started today. We're going to continue in our small groups, in our life transformation groups, in our prayer meetings to lay a biblical foundation for why we pray. We are going to be casting a vision for Redeemer's prayer ministry within the the congregation. I just shared the vision for us. We're going to continue to develop this vision of what our prayer lives are for and how we can live them out. We're going to provide training and resources. We're going to provide materials such as books, CDs, DVDs, websites, sermons, That deal with prayer, if you're interested, we will have those resources on hand, but also we'll provide training through conferences and the such in order to develop your prayer life and the church's prayer life as a whole. We're going to provide multiple opportunities to practice a rich and varied prayer life. Not only do we have Sunday morning prayer at 925 that everyone's invited to, we also have Prayer meetings on Thursday night at 7 at the Expresso Royale on Daniel and 6th Street. We're talking about having another prayer meeting start as well in the mornings. We also have prayer walks and uh, potentially you're going to have a prayer retreat this next year. There's lots of opportunities to have differing and varied uh, prayer opportunities. The next thing we're going to do is develop and deploy prayer ministry leaders as God has raises them up. We're going to train and equip people. People said... I want to, I would love to see a, Mike said, I'd love to see a prayer meeting on Thursday night. And we say, you got it. And Mike leads our, our Thursday night prayer meeting. You know, we have had other people come up and say, you know, what about a prayer meeting this day? And we say, what do you think? You want to lead it? So we're going to not only let them lead, but also help them, encourage them, provide them resources, and develop them through, as they lead in the prayer ministry. We're going to develop a focus on prayer throughout the Life Redeemer Church. So we're going to grow in our commitment to prayer in our life transformation groups, our community groups, and in our worship services. And the last thing we're going to do is we're regularly going to celebrate prayer in the life of the church. First, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pray. People have prayer requests, we're going to pray. The next thing we're going to do, and this is the harder thing, because we have to get everybody in the habit of doing so, when prayers have been answered, we're going to celebrate that. Oftentimes we say, pray for me about this, and then we don't hear back as to what happened. But we're going to make a diligent effort to follow up and get response so that we can celebrate the ways God has answered prayer. Now, as we enter into a time of more focused prayer as a church, there are a few questions we need to ask ourselves. First, do you pray regularly? By yourself? Before, between you and God, as, as Jesus says, in your prayer closet. Do you pray for yourself or do you pray for God's purposes? And how or do you need to change your prayer life in response to the truth heard today? Now we're going to have a few minutes of personal prayer. And then we're going to go ahead and close and we'll have Caleb sing one more song. So if you'd just like to bow your heads, we're going to have a silent time for a couple minutes and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, we just uh, pray that you'd convict our hearts of areas where our prayer lives are, are in error. God, that you'd help us to be people consumed with a passion for your kingdom and your glory. To be consumed with a uh, with hearts and spirits and minds that That long to see your your gospel proclaimed and souls saved. God, help us to be a people who pray without ceasing, whose hearts and minds and spirits first response to the good, to the bad, to 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 those unexpected, those expected circumstances in life is prayer. God, help us to be your people. Help us be people of prayer, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.